This is Judy Herman, advocate for authentic humanity, counselor, and author of Beyond Messy Relationships. You are listening to Hashtag POD Podcasts of Dentistry with Dr. Panks. podcastofdentistry.com slash squadcast. I believe everyone has a story to tell. And if you want to start a podcast to tell your story, the easiest way to start one is squadcast. No special hardwares, no special softwares needed for you or your guests. You simply start podcasting using any laptop or desktop or Android phone and even a Chromebook in a browser like Chrome, Firefox, Opera, Brave. So, you may ask, how did you do it? Well, it's simple. As a host, you simply schedule an interview on your dashboard. Share that particular link to the guest and hit record to get studio quality audio. Done. No sign-ups needed by your guests, no special mics needed by anyone and still get studio quality audio. There can be up to four people at one time, including the host. You can even see the video of your guests. Connect any earphone or headphones with mic and you're golden. When you're done, simply stop recording and everything with separate tracks is automatically uploaded on your dashboard, ready to download in no time. Most of the basic audio editing is also automatically done when you download. Do I not make any sense? Well, they do have demo videos on their website to show you exactly how it is done. I did use the support and they have best-in-the-class support. They are so confident in their services that they have even compared their services with other competitors. Another thing that gives me peace of mind is redundancy. That means that even if there is some error, you can still get the backup of all the recordings sent to you in your email through your dashboard. So, if you really like the idea of starting your own podcast, podcastofdentistry.com slash Squadcast. The subscription starts only at $10 per month. You can cancel anytime through your account without making any calls or any change of emails. Super easy. Once again, to support this show, simply go to podcastofdentistry.com slash squadcast. Give it a try. Today, we have a very special guest who is not only a dentist, but an author, a certified professional coactive coach, and a business consultant. She is Dr. Peter Saleh. Today, we'll talk about what the guest calls it as the fearless way method. And I was referring to it in the podcast as the well-referred dentist method. The book by the same name, The Well-Referred Dentist by Dr. Peter Saleh. To understand what we talk today, please keep an open mind and a little patience. It certainly gets easier to understand as we move forward. I would agree that it is a pretty dense podcast embarking on energy psychology, dreams, intuition, fears, anxiety, limiting beliefs, and so on. We go in detail about this matter and discuss the veracity, usefulness, both in a left brain 
statistical kind of a way and the right brain imagination kind of a way. You would probably have to read her book to get the full understanding but I think I've done enough work for you and I try to ask all the questions that my audience might ask. We talked about implementing this method in your own office, what to do, how to do it and of course its usefulness. As usual, Tim Ferriss inspired questions brings out the hidden gems about the guest and the process of course. We talked about TM, her morning ritual. What other changes did she observe by doing TM for all these years and so on. It is indeed a different kind of a podcast since it tries to expand your horizon in a very powerful way. There is some food for thought and indeed some fun moments. I was not sure if I would be able to ask relevant questions but she is an empath and at the end it was indeed a rewarding experience. Please enjoy Dr. Beta Saleh from Well Referred Dentist. As usual all links and podcasts are available at podcastofdentistry.com slash session 23 and podcastofdentistry.com slash beta. So without further ado, Dr. Beta Saleh. Welcome to Podcast of Dentistry, hashtag POD. And um, I don't want to bore with all the intros and all those things. Let's start. Let's dive into it, right? Um, okay. Um, I know the topic we are discussing is a little new. Uh, so we all have to keep an open mind to start with that thought process. I think, uh, let's say uh, you want to talk about the phrase you used in your book. Teacher of the heart. Yeah, that's a great question, Dr. Panks. Um, teacher of the heart is about loving the individual patient who presents to our office in whatever form they present themselves that moment. And really, truly seeing them beyond the fear and anxiety that they're presenting. Maybe that fear and anxiety is, um, is presenting itself as frustration or anger or complaining or saying, why isn't my insurance covering this or that? So there's many faces that fear and anxiety presents itself. Teacher of the heart is about truly seeing that individual and loving them despite however they show up in your office. I brought an example of, um, of myself when I was a fourth year dental student and um, the person that embodied that for me was a professor who knew me in the clinical setting for two years. He knew my work. And one day I had, I was, I wasn't feeling well. I was trying to push through it and I mistook the angle on a tooth and I overprepared and therefore there was a pulp exposure. And obviously I was, I was really upset with myself, but this doctor saw me beyond that one mistake and um and it was really important when someone is there for you when you can't be there for yourself and they really see you as who you really are Mm. Um, another example is i had many friends who were my patients as well and when they came to my office for dentistry all of a sudden they became different people and I kept wondering, well, this person is usually so friendly and kind and 
nice. And then all of a sudden they come for their dental appointment and they become this really angry and frustrated person. What What's happening when they walk through my door? Hmm. And that's all fear and anxiety. So if we as dentists don't see the individual as they truly are, then we allow that fear and anxiety to affect us. And then we become uncentered. We carry on their negative experience. And then that stays with us and we carry it to the next patient and the next patient. And then we take that home at night. Right. And you just mentioned also saying that love your patients regardless of how they show up. It is a mm-hmm. hard concept. You know, um, what exercises you think a dentist or new dentist, uh, you know, can do and develop to be empathetic for the patients in, in the line you said, love your patients regardless of how they show up? Yes, the exercises that really help are grounding exercises. Um, and if anyone wants um, wants me to send them something, just go to my website and request that through the contact section of my website. Um, there's a meditation that really grounds the individual to the earth so that as dentists, we remain centered so that we have proper boundaries set up for us. And that way, we're not affected by every negative feeling that comes into our office. So you can see through the eyes of love only when you're really centered in that place where you're not affected by everything around you. Now, do I do I understand centered more like, I mean, of course, I've read the book, so I know that meaning of centered uh, in the book, but... Um, do you think I can uh, replace the word centered with compartmentalize the feelings between um, between what I feel for the patient and still trying to do what's right for the patient even, and not get bogged down by his or her feelings? Can I use the word um, we are more compartmentalized in that regard? No, it's not so much compartmentalized. So compartmentalized means that you still feel it, but you put it in a compartment where you don't have to deal with it anymore. The concept that I'm describing has to do more with having... So love is a higher energy. Mm. And negative feelings are a much lower energy. Mm. If... If you're maintaining a higher energy, the lower energies can't even find you. So if you are in love energy category, the negative feelings of the patient just don't even affect you. So it's more about not letting it affect you rather than compartmentalizing it. Okay. Okay. Right. So, um, uh, I think now is the time to kind of unravel a little bit here. Uh, so there's there's a there's a line. Uh, I think it's a pretty deep line um, on page 17 of your book, which said, uh, "Application of the methods proposed in this book does not erases the traumatic events, but instead erases the emotional signal attached to the memory by eliminating the disturbance of energy flow." in the energetic field. So uh, I think 
this if you explain this line elaborate on this line uh in a little detail people would understand what your whole book is all about uh i think this is a very key important line um because it discusses energy flow of course in the energetic field the disturbance of it um and the whole idea of erasing the signal and not the event per se so that's a really question yeah that's a very good question um one of the case studies that i mentioned in the book actually is a perfect description of this um there was there was a patient who participated in the study and she had a really bad dentist um it was actually a family member who was her dentist so um he really hurt her he didn't listen when she said i'm not numb he continued working on her even though he knew she yeah. expressed it in fear so um, what happened was after we did this um, method on her, she still remembered that this family member was her dentist, that he hurt her. She remembered all of that, but she no longer cared. So you, this method doesn't, make, doesn't erase a memory at all. You st she still remembered that, oh, yeah, this family member hurt me. But that signal where it upsets you is no longer present. It's not a change. It's just, okay. It's like if there's, usually we have proper energy flow mm. in our body. Okay. When, a neg when an individual has a negative experience, that negative experience interrupts the flow of energy. Mm -hmm. So if energy flow is disrupted through the energetic pathways the system that would get the energy is now not getting the, the proper energy and that eventually ends up causing disease so that's one aspect of it but there's okay. no there's no transformation of energy it's just we're going from proper flow of energy that usually exists negative experience disrupts that proper energy flow and so now that meridian is not transferring energy properly right and therefore everything goes haywire okay so uh for the audience uh, could you just elaborate this part a little bit so when there is a disruption of the energy flow how does it impact uh, the patient how what are the ways that it impacts the patient and uh, and uh, uh, and how fixing that flow of energy actually makes them more compliant to what you want them to do yes so let's say a patient has had a previous mm, awful experience at a dental office and it doesn't even have to be a dental office or a dental experience they mm -hmm. could have had a drowning experience that was negative Mm -hmm. Or they could have been at a physician's office where they had a bad experience, or maybe it was sexual abuse where obviously that's a very bad experience. So right. those negative experiences, the energy flow gets blocked and okay. this doesn't go away. It just stays. It's like our brain is like a library. It just stores negative information and it puts it in a library. Now, let's say this makes a dental appointment. Right. All of a sudden, that stored memory of that negative experience pops back in. 
And oftentimes patients aren't even aware of it. Um, maybe the day before the appointment, all of a sudden they feel this kind of anxiety and they don't know what it's about. And anxiety is when an existing stimulus trigger does not exist. Mm. So patients sitting at home with their family and all of a sudden they get, I don't know why it feels full and my heart's racing and now they're at a point, they're having all the symptoms, maybe rapid breathing, heart rate increases, and they still have no idea. Right. There's, a, there's many ways, I just, many ways that, pay, that doctors can actually recognize those presenting factors in a patient. If you don't recognize it, you can actually do this method and find through muscle testing that I discuss in detail how, which pathways are blocked. Once you know which pathways are blocked, then you know which negative feelings were the origin of this pathway being blocked. Right. And by tapping, by tapping on areas in the body, which are called acupressure points, you can get that flow of energy going again. Mm. So by the end of this method, the energetic pathway is now flowing. It's no longer blocked. Patient still remembers that, oh, yeah, I do remember I had a ground drowning experience and et cetera. That's why right now I can't take it when somebody puts water in my mouth or gets near my mouth. So the story makes sense to the patient. You've just recognized the original negative experience that caused all of this problem for the patient. Patient is witnessed now. There's somebody in front of them, hopefully the dentist, who has now heard their story and witnessed that. And they know what the source is. So they no longer have that emotional signal. Mm. They remember it, but they're no, no longer bothered about it. And they're not longer, they're not bothered about it because the energy flow, uh, at least temporarily or for relatively, not permanently at least, has been changed by your method of uh, changing the energy flow. And that causes to continue, for the patients to continue adapting and, 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 uh, and uh, become more compliant. Um, it is, at that point, you can figure out all of the energy pathways that were blocked. It's not just one. So, you know how a nervous system is all connected together? So right. is the vasculature. It's all together. So the pathways are all connected together to the meridian pathways. So if one pathway is blocked, it does affect the next one and the next one. So by doing this method, you can identify all the pathways that are affected. And then you give that homework to a patient and you say, okay, these were all the pathways that were blocked for you. I, you know, it's, it's, it would be good for you to do this homework by tapping all these points three times a day for three months, whatever that ends up being. Mm. And the, the protocol is through muscle testing, you'll determine how many times the patient needs to do this yeah. as homework for be permanent. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I think muscle testing is the key word here, is the key phrase here. Basically, the idea is you test a muscle in a certain way, uh, which is in the book, by the way, somebody who was interested. Uh, and then the, the muscle test would tell you whether the person's person is telling 
the patient or patient involved is telling the truth or uh, he or not or not, right? So with the muscle test, you go either in this direction or that direction. If you feel, uh, for example, that you need to do this homework for three months, four days a, four days a week, um, does a muscle test positive to it? Uh, for somebody who's interested, as I said, go and read about uh, muscle testing, um, and you'll understand. Uh, and if this, if they test positive and they're strong with it, that means this is what their body wants for them to fix the energy flow that's going on in the body right now. Why we even rely on muscle testing. Mm-hmm. If an individual is asked about a question, the mind can hide a lot of things in the subconscious part of it. Right. And the patient might not even be aware of the correct answer. However, if the body is tested, the body doesn't lie or can't hide anything. It will tell you the truth. Right. So usually muscle testing is done on the deltoid muscle. You present a question to the patient and you test that muscle for a true statement or is that a false statement? Mm. It's true or false. That's how you know which meridian pathways are blocked. So now that you've figured out which pathways were blocked and which ones are going to be homework for the patient to do, no more muscle testing is required. However, If a patient comes back six months later and they're still exhibiting signs of fear and anxiety, you know, perhaps they didn't do their homework or whatever the situation might be, you would need to go back, start with muscle testing again and figure out, okay, which pathways are now blocked. So so muscle testing is really good to do at the beginning to identify which pathways are blocked. Why don't we try to bring all of this together, what we've just discussed in a little, so that audience can actually understand what are we trying to achieve here with your method? Of course. So, you know, the reason we even do all this is to help our patients be able to sit in a chair and have the capacity to even understand the information we're giving them. And number two, it helps the dentist to go through an entire day and be able to help their patients without getting stressed, without unnecessarily getting stressed. A lot of times what happens is patients sitting in our chair and we give them all this information and they look at us, nod their head, they walk to the front office. When the front office asks them, oh, do you remember if Dr. Smith told you about what's needed to be done for the next appointment, they don't remember a thing. Well, it's not that they got amnesia from the treatment room to the front office. It's because they were so anxious and fearful that their brain didn't even register. They were in that frozen state where they didn't even remember or understand or comprehend anything that was told to them. So that's a lot of frustration for the dental office because now the front and back are looking at each other going, well, didn't you guys explain all of this to the patient? And the back says, well, of course we did. We, you know, we took 10 minutes 
explaining all of this, but the patient was not in a space to understand. Patient doesn't actually tell them or can't retain it, then all the treatment plan recommendations that you're giving them, they're not going to accept it. Because imagine if you're in a jungle and all of a sudden you're faced with a bear who's going to you. You're not going to remember anything that's being told to you, especially if a dentist is also present saying, oh, you need, you know, a class two composite. I mean, they, they're just not going to be able to understand or retain that. The yeah. only thing they care about is how fast can I exit here? <laughs> so a lot of times the treatment plans that we give our patients, they don't accept them. So the treatment plan stays in a patient's file as something that patient never accepted. And then they kind of come back again, and then we do the same thing again, and they don't accept it. So dentists often feel frustrated that their patients are not accepting their treatment plans. A year or two can go by, and then the patient now needs a root canal. And the dentist said, well, Mrs. Jones, I informed you that right. you needed yeah. YZ done. And Mrs. Jones says, no, I don't remember you saying any of that. Mm. And that's where, you know, there's a break in the relationship between the dentist and the patient. Dentist says, no, I did. I have, you know, all this documentation and the patient can't remember a thing. To our patients, if our patients can't relate to us, then there won't be any trust. When trust is broken, we have bigger problems. So this method really allows for that you know, original negative experience that makes our patients go, you know, get their sympathetic nervous system all fired up. It takes care of that. So our patients can be present during the appointment, can hear us. They can listen to us. They can retain it. Our treatment plans are going to be accepted at the time that we present them. And so inevitably, the dentist profits will increase and the patients will be healthier. That's the whole point of this book. Um, yeah, that that does help. Uh, that does help uh, understand uh, the advantages of the advantages of doing your system. So let's let's go back to a little history here, um, so that people can relate a little more. Uh, what was your turning point to get into such an exercise? Uh, you know, to to learn mm -hmm. such an exercise to calm your patients down with your method. Your well-referred dentist method, I would call it as. Um, uh, uh, what was your turning point to learn and to get into such uh, research about calming the patients down with your method? Yeah, of course. Um, as I said in the book, I'm an empath. What that means is an empath feels other people's feelings as though it's happening to you. Um, so it's not that you're having empathy for someone. You're actually feeling those feelings as though it's happening to you. Mm. So from the beginning of my career, I know that I was It was just dreaming. Um, so it, not knowing what it was, not knowing what an empath was, I just, you know, kept working through it until, you know, I, I, was, I was profitable. I had a nice practice. 
And if you've been in practice long enough, at least for me, every seven to 10 years, something, some event happens where yeah. your external conditions change. So all of a sudden you find that, okay, what I've been doing in the past is not really working anymore. Um, for me, that came in 2007 when the financial crisis happened mm. and then we went into that great recession and yep. literally my family groups of patients were leaving California, lost their dental insurance and everything. And there was fear and anxiety, not, not only with my employees, but also just with, with every patient that came in. Yeah. And that's when it really came to a head. I thought, okay, no, nothing, nothing's working. There is this real negative energy that's happening. And if I don't figure it out, then down too. And I kept searching for any, any university, any program, any course that would address this, and nothing did. Mm. I finally found a university in Northern California. And um, although I was still running my practice, I I went for a three-year certification, and that's that was my introduction to energy medicine, energy psychology. And every time I had to do research, I did it on fear and anxiety. Um, when I started to do this, and I learned how to ground myself, how to center myself, so that I can love my patients in whatever form they presented that day. Mm -hmm. I learned how to alleviate patients' fears and anxieties through doing energy psychology methods. Um, so I, I found um, a school that actually taught energy medicine and energy psychology, and I enrolled in a three-year certification. The result of that was knowing how to properly center myself. And that allowed me the opportunity to not be um, affected by all the negative um, feelings around me and not to absorb everybody's feelings and get drained. And through the energy psychology methods that I brought up in the book, it, it, between you and the patient, there's this trust. By the end of this, method, there's a trust between you and the patient that I've never experienced before. Um, my patients completely trusted me after that. They didn't care if their insurance didn't cover the entire fee or they didn't care that that might be a cheaper office down the street. Um, they trusted me yeah. as the person who had their best interest in mind. And um, even even when I sold my practice in 2017, the dentist who bought my practice said, Dr. Seller, these patients love you. Like, this is beyond <laughs> a doctor-patient relationship. Like, what did you do? And, um, and that's it. That's all I did is, number one, to truly see them through the eyes of love, which you can only do if you're centered yourself. And number two was this method. And I want to add that any person, like any patient that I asked in my practice to do this, if they were interested in going through this method, there was not one person that said no. Oh, I mean, okay. they were eager. They were like, should we start now is what they said. Um, and all the case studies that I discussed 
in the book were done in 90 minutes, except one person um, who had a parallel sexual abuse mm. and dental fear. She took three hours, but literally everybody else was a 90 minute, one 90 minute. Now, if you're new to this, you may break that down into three appointments, into three hourly appointments, but you don't have to. Once you're certified in this method and you're comfortable doing it, it literally will not take more than 90 minutes. Okay. I'm, I'm going to use an analogy sure. because um, let's say every time a patient comes to your office, they, know, they don't see you. They just see an angry bear, let's say. And these are patients who are fearful, okay? So they can't distinguish you from the trauma that they felt at some time in the past. And let's say that trauma was facing an angry bear. So when an angry bear is sitting close to them and talking to them, they're cut out. They they're in survival mode. They either want to get out of your office as fast as possible, which is the flight part of the sympathetic nervous system, or they want to fight. That's when they get angry and they start complaining about your fees being high or that their cousin went to a dental office and the dentist didn't ask for any copayment. I mean, there are so many things that a patient who's fearful can bring up as resistance. Okay. What this method does is it removes that angry bear so that when a patient looks at you, they see you and not the angry bear anymore. So they will, they will remember that, oh yeah, at some point I was hurt by an angry bear, Hmm. but Dr. Pink is not that angry bear. Right. So whenever I see, whenever I see Dr. Pink, I'm no longer triggered to feel that fear that I felt with the angry bear. Mm-hmm. Now I can, my faculties, you know, I'm, I'm able to hear Dr. Pink when he talks to me and I can retain the information he gives me. And I'm going to, you know, I trust him now. He's not somebody that I need to run away from. Okay. Okay. Oh, who did you think, um, as we were doing a little pre-call, um, uh, and we, uh, we agreed and we both agreed that it is not for a high volume office. Uh, so who did you think is a, a target audience for your well-referred dentist method? Um, any dentist in private practice. Um, okay. Because, you know, it, it's important to realize that in private practice, um, the way that we sell our services, which is dentistry, what needs to happen before we were able to sell that successfully is that trust needs to exist. So patients are coming to us they're willing to pay us to get good service. But before that happens, they need to trust us. So in private practice setting, there is availability of time for that communication to happen between the dentist and the patient and the explanation and go through this method. So there's time for that. And you can certainly charge for it. it's not like you have to do this for free. You can definitely charge for it. But when you charge for it, you need to let the patient know that there's certain things that you need to do. And I don't want to get into it here because I, I want to be able to properly portray it. We might not have time here. Mm. 
But there is time in private practice to do that, whereas in an HMO practice or DSO, there there is no time. They rely on volume um, to do dentistry, and it's just a different model of practice. So my audience are dentists in private practice, whether it's individual or group, doesn't matter, but it would be private practice. Got it. Got it. Um, now, um seems like you went in 2007 to do this. Uh, how long did you uh, implement well-deferred dentist method in your own office? Um, actually, I started, um, I started in 2013. Okay. And, um, you know, my, my actual certification, it took three years. Yeah. So in 2000, 16, um, I did one study, which I described, the case studies are described here in 2013. Then the four-minute method was done early 2016. Right. We'll get to that. But um, so basically, uh, more or less, you started in 2013. And did you do it in on all the patients in your office, um, this, this method? No. No, I did it on select patients that I knew were very fearful. Okay, so only fearful and anxious patients in yeah. uh, starting from 2013. And um, there's, a, there's a scale between 0 to 10, 0 being no fear yeah. of dental treatment, 10 being the worst fear. And basically, if you just ask a patient on a scale of 1 to 10 or 0 to 10, where are you as far as fear and anxiety about dental treatment, they will tell you. Right. Do you do you remember any particular uh, patient, any particular case where you had the the most dramatic effect of uh, well-referred dentist from ten to I don't know zero or one that he mm-hmm. or she is able to do or was able to do uh, all the work that you recommended or mentioned? Absolutely, there were many. Um, Okay. One individual, particularly um, this person had come to my practice um, one time for bleaching his teeth. And he was so nervous that he would not hold eye contact with me. Wow. He had visible sweat coming down his face and um, he couldn't even talk to me. He came for his bleaching and then he left and I didn't see him for three years. And this this went on for many years. He would come back for some little thing, like something hurt, and we would fix it. But this individual was very, very afraid um, to the point that he would, you know, clutch the chair rail and hold on yeah. and, you know, white knuckle it. And just there was a lot, a lot of visible anxiety and fear going on. Um, when I did it on this individual, he, after this, he actually would fall asleep in my chair. And um, mm. anything, anything that I recommended, there was no question about it. Whereas before, it was, oh, well, I can't afford that. Oh, well, will my insurance cover it? <laughs> after he went through this method, nothing, none of that. All of that went away. Okay, where, when do I schedule for it? When do you want me to come back? Those were the oh, responses wow. I was getting. So basically, it was. So basically, it wasn't not only in the chair cooperation, but also you know uh, the cooperation in. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready when you are. Oh yeah. Kind of, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It was. 
when would you like me to come back to do this? Mm. Wow. It was not like, oh, yeah, I have to check my calendar and <laughs> I'll get back to you when I have time. I have to talk to my significant other uh, before I decide. None of that was there anymore. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's a different way. It's, it's a different way of, of practicing dentistry when your patient says, I accept. And when would you like me to come back? Yeah, I've been, um, I think some of my patients say, say that to me, even though I don't use your well-referred dentist method. Not all of them. I mean, I'm not as good as you in this method, but you know, I think I'm, as you were talk, telling me that I think I'm an empath too. Uh, one thing that hurts me is when I'm actually numbing my patient, I'm like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm sorry it hurts you, but I know it hurts you, you know? And, and, um, some of my patients have said that I do a good job in numbing them, whatever. Um, it's not about me here, by the way, but I, uh, what I was trying to say is only very few of my patients say, I'm ready when you are. But if you say you can make those patients you know, many of your patients, uh, to say the way I'm ready when you are, uh, that's a, that's a big game changer. I would say that's a big game changer. It is. Yeah. It is. And, and Dr. Pence, we talked about it. You are, you know, by you being so aware of what the patient might experience and presenting that truth to them before they're hurt or before they experience pain, that also um, creates trust between you and the patient. Um, oh, and that's great. But with, with patients that would qualify for this study, they would have to be, you know, um, from that scale of zero to 10, they would have to be in the seven to 10 range. Right. Where, you know, they, nothing we do as dentists, as caring dentists helps them. They mm. still, you know, they still can't properly sit in the chair. And allow us to do the dentistry that we can do on them. It's those are the patients that are much more difficult um, to get them to trust us with with empathy and care and compassion. Yeah, I mean, um, to be honest, I, I I think you also have what we call a four minute protocol. You were touching touching on that uh, topic a little bit. Uh, why don't you Why don't you tell them a little more about your four minute protocol because that's gonna start them. You know, it's it's gonna start them slow, but then it's gonna give them a little more confidence in your method too. So, if you don't mind, please discuss a little bit about your four-minute protocol. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, sometimes you just don't have time to discuss this with a patient who arrives for an emergency. Right. Um, you know, let somebody calls your office at four thirty, and you're about to close at five. And they have an abscess and they need your help, but they're also very afraid of dental treatment. So you need something quick to, mm-hmm. um, get them to sit in the chair so that you, you can do an emergency treatment on them. And the four minute, um, tapping protocol, when I did the study for that in 2016, um, dental fear and anxiety was reduced by 35%. And wow. that's a lot. That's the difference between a patient not being able to sit in the chair versus a patient sitting in the chair for 20 minutes while you excise the abscess and, you know, move on to help them further. So 
it's great for an emergency type situation. Um, it only requires tapping on seven acupressure points, which are on the body. And they need to do that just for four minutes. So you wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you say tapping like, like with a tip of the finger kind of thing, tapping? Yes. Oh, that's tapping gently. Very gently. Okay. Okay. Very gently. Okay. Um, so there's no force, you know, you don't want to bruise um, the skin or anything. It's very gentle tapping, and it's that tapping that gets the energy flow going. Oh, okay. Okay. The seven the seven acupressure points that I found were useful, they go back to the 2013 study. Mm. I found that these acupressure points were most commonly the places that were blocked with patients that had dental care and anxiety. So I said, let's get rid of all the extra stuff. Let's just tap on wow. these points mm -hmm. and let's see if that reduces anxiety. And that's when we found that, yes, it does. It reduces anxiety by 35%. Wow. So this is really useful to, you know, for, for example, an HMO practice or DSO practice or, you know, um, even a, even a private practice when an emergency patient shows up and you've added them to your schedule and you don't have time, your auxiliary staff can just tell the patient, um, I'm going to do this with you. Just tap on these points for okay. four minutes and okay. let's see how you do. Okay. Okay. So you're saying, um, what are those points? Uh, so if I tap on those seven points, how would I even know that whatever I tapped on actually worked? <laughs> so that's a very good question. So, you know, the patient that shows up in an emergency and they're, they obviously have pain. Yeah. And you ask them to sit in a chair and they're very ambivalent. They're exhibiting signs of fear and anxiety. They start asking questions after question and they have to use the bathroom every 15 minutes, for example. So the dentist is actually seeing the red flags of fear and anxiety right in front of their eyes. Right. And that's when you can take a patient out into a consult room or something or the front area and just say, you know, we're just seeing a few areas, a few fears and anxieties that are going on. Let's just tap on some points. And, you know, you take the patient through that protocol of four minute tapping. Mm. And then you ask them from a scale of zero to 10, how much anxiety or fear you're experiencing right now. And the patient will tell you, okay. they will say, Oh, you know what? Yeah. I was at a seven before I was at a 10 before. Now I'm kind of, I left four. Oh, okay. And then you can say, are you able to sit in the dental chair now? And they will, they will, you know, they will go and sit in the dental chair and now you can, you know, spend 15, 20 minutes doing what you need to do to get them out of that emergency situation. Right. Now, and that's what you know. <laughs> now, this is, uh, now I'm just thinking like um, another dentist who hasn't read your book yet and just listening to this podcast. And they're like, you know, how do I even go and approach to a patient and tell them, hey, I want to tap those seven places on your body. And it's going to make you, I mean, it sounds stupid, sorry, but you know, for, for an outsider who has not accepted this well-referred dentist method, for them, it would be like, 
what tapping those seven acupre how do i even approach that you know to the patient uh that i am eligible or i am uh, trained and competent enough to even do a four minute protocol or something similar Absolutely. Um, that's a very good question. So let's go through it. Okay. You have an emergency patient shows up. It's a new patient. Yeah. Someone you've never met before. And, um, you know, you, you do what you do normally. You go through their health history and ask them what's bothering them. And, and while you're doing the exam, you're seeing that there's, you're identifying red flags of fear and anxiety. And you tell the patient, as you see them, you want to be able to verbalize that to the patient. Now, I'm seeing that you're moving your head away from me. Is, is there a reason for that? And they will tell you, yeah, I'm really afraid, you know, uh-huh. or I just don't, I don't like being touched in my face or my mouth. It's, right. And I'm, I'm in pain, they will tell you. And once you get two or three of them and you let them know that you know, I'm seeing this, this, that. I'm seeing that you're, for example, bringing your chin up and I can't access the area that I need to access. These are typical signs of, of someone who has a lot of fear and anxiety. And you let them know that there are a lot of patients that feel that way. And we've been able to help them through energy psychology methods. Have you heard of tapping? Okay. The layman term is tapping, and a lot of people have heard of tapping. Or if they haven't, you can say, have you heard of acupuncture Uh without Uh needles? This is kind of like acupuncture, but we don't use needles. All we ask you to do is tap. And if you're open to it, we can walk over to our consult room, and you just need to sign an informed consent allowing us to help you with your fear right now so we can treat you. Okay. Are you open to that? And then you walk them to the consult room. They sign the informed consent. Someone sits in front of them and says, this is really simple. Just follow what I'm doing. Okay. And you tap, and then the patient taps on themselves as you show them. The only thing is you don't want to look directly in a patient's eye when you do this. Oh. And you want to ask the patient not to look in directly in your eye. Because what that does is it, you absorb their negative energy. So you want to be completely neutral and mm. not look directly at them. But you just show them where to tap. You know, you put the clock on for four minutes. And before you start the tapping, you say scale of one to ten. Mm. Where would you rate yourself as far as dental care and anxiety? And they will know. They'll say, I'm a 12. And oh. then after four minutes <laughs> of talking. Yeah. <laughs> After four minutes of tapping, then you say, great job, from a scale of one to ten, where are you now? Right. And if they say, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm a four, but yeah, I can feel the pain from my tooth, but as far as being afraid of treatment, I'm around a four, probably three or four. And then okay. you say, great, would you like to go back and sit in the dental chair and have Dr. Smith work on you? Mm. And they'll say, yeah, I can do that. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so the response is, uh, very subjective, like patient oriented. Patient said before, yeah. and you know, you tap, and then what the, what does the patient say? There is no objective way of actually comparing it. Of course, the patient is ready. Uh, that is one of the good subjective ways that he or she is ready. 
but does it depend Not on with the format? The four minute protocol is sorry. What? The four minute protocol we're relying on a subjective response from a patient. So with the four minute protocol, there's no muscle testing. There's no nothing right. that we do with the customized method. Right, so right, we right. do rely on the subjective answers. Yeah. Got it. So four minute protocol is. Oh, well, that, um, I think you already answered my next question. Uh, so four-minute protocol is more like a subjective response uh, to mm-hmm. your method. Uh, so, But there is no way of confirming it uh, objectively. Uh, uh, and that's the reason people should do a full 90-minute protocol and not only the four-minute protocol. Am I right? Is that what you would yeah, say? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this, the four-minute protocol is, just to be able to get the patient sit in the dental chair for maybe 15 minutes so you can, you know, do what you need to do emergency-wise. <laughs> but, you know, to really understand, um, to do a customized um, tapping for the patient and really, um, you know, see which meridian pathways are blocked, mm-hmm. where are the treatment points that need to be tapped, that really is a customized 90-minute um Slot of time. Yeah. Got it. Now, did you did you used to charge extra uh, for the patients in your own office? I did. Um, I charged around you know one hundred and fifty dollars. It wasn't okay. a lot, but you know you would whatever. It's not. Um, it's not really the amount that you charge, but no, maybe just do what you do for a new yeah. patient. Like for you charge for a full mouth X-ray and exam, mm. charge that. Now, okay. Now, let me let me let me throw something at you right now. This this happened. This so, how would you even compare your well well referred dentist method to a placebo effect? That means people want to get better. Of course, you are doing something for them, and the very thought Mm -hmm. that you will help him or her, just like in a placebo. Do you think it is somehow a placebo effect in that regard? I mean. You're telling them the, you're going to help them, and they yeah. feel good right away, uh, especially in the four-minute sure. protocol. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think it's more or less like a placebo? Well, what, what would really help, of course, is more research in this area. But the four-minute um, call that I did for emergency patients, my control group were um, people that read a golf magazine article. That was my control group. And mm. I compared the people who um, tapped to the people who only read this boring golf magazine article. Okay. And okay. those people only increased, um, only improved by 6%, mm. whereas um, the group that actually did the tapping, they improved by 35%. So that was a significant difference, and um, we actually had a statistician who did the comparative analysis, mm-hmm. and they determined it was it was a significant difference. Um, and all of this is in the article. Um, my research is in is actually posted under my my page on LinkedIn. So if you want to get into more detail, mm-hmm. um, you can read mm-hmm. that. But that's a very good question. How do you know if this is placebo effect versus mm-hmm. versus not? And that study determined that it's not a placebo effect. 
Okay. So statistically, it's proven, basically, your method is not a placebo, but actually it does have a significant uh, correlation to whatever you were trying to study. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I would love to, you know, to do mm-hmm. with more people, do a study with more people, you know, at least 30, 30 participants and do a, you know, blind controlled study group along with them. So that would be ideal. But um, I feel that this is a good starting point for um, for all of us to kind of have an open mind and start doing it in our practices. And maybe the opportunity to do a larger number of participants will be available either by me or by somebody else in the future. That would sure. be great. Yeah, I mean... Um Believe me, I think everybody needs more studies, even the uh, the crowns that we do <laughs> needs a more study. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, that being said, now, um, little on the legal and the malpractice aspect of it. Okay, now one thing which kind of bothers me is, you know, anytime one of my good friends, he's really, you know, very uh, legal oriented guy. So he always finds something. Yeah. Is it legal? I'm not going to get in trouble. Uh, yeah. Am I going to have a malpractice insurance trouble in this? Because I'm not, I don't have a three-year degree, which Dr. Saleh has, um, you know, for me to even do a four-minute protocol. Forget about a 90-minute and forget about, you, you understand what I'm saying? So I think what I'm all talking is, talking about is the legal ramifications, uh, the malpractice insurance thing, um, you know, how is how would that come into play? Absolutely. And, you know, as a practicing dentist back in uh, 2013 and 2016, those were my questions as well. And I I asked all these questions from my malpractice insurance. And um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the concept and then I'll tell you what you need to do in yeah. order to not mix the boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, You know, in dentistry, we're supposed to manage our patients so that, you know, if somebody comes in and they're having anxiety, um, if they faint, you know, we bring them oxygen, we're we're trained in energy medicine. Or maybe when they're getting nitrous oxide, they get too much, they're not titrated properly, and they end up throwing up all over the place. We're supposed to clean it up, calm them down. Retitate and basically take care of our patients. Right. So when you look at this method, all you're doing is you're preventing an actual anxiety attack, um, and you're helping your patient to get healthier. So the the outcome is the same. However, you're right. Maybe somebody is not trained. Maybe somebody is not certified, and they have an emergency patient come in. So. That's why it's good to get certified and learn the right way. Um, I don't recommend a dentist who has not been certified to even do the four-minute method. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of responsibility that we carry, um, even though the research has shown that nothing bad is going to happen to the client, okay. even if you do it wrong. Mm. Like Nothing will happen. Nothing bad will happen. In the four-minute protocol, even if you completely mess it up, nothing bad's going to happen. But even so, it's best to err on the side of, you know, not doing it if you're not trained in it. 
once you are trained, I, I go through a long list of things that you have to do. One of which is you have to have an informed consent okay. so that every patient in your practice understands, has read this informed consent and understands that while you're doing the tapping, you're not acting as their dentist. Very important for the patient to understand that because you don't want to mix your dental mm-hmm. license with energy psychology. It's just they're two separate things. And you want to make sure that the patient understands that too and signs it. And you never want to do the tapping in a dental operatory where you practice dentistry. Oh, that's why you said to take them into a consultation room. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to make that distinction that in the dental operatory, I'm your dentist right now, but your dental appointment is, is going to be put on pause because Mm. we're going to walk out of the dental operatory. We're going to go to the consultation room where I can do this energy psychology method with you. And while I'm doing that, I'm not acting as your dentist. Okay. Okay. Because, you know, there's kind of a very distinct um, separation between having your dentist hat on and having your energy psychology hat on. Mm. Okay. And the fish understands it. And as long as that is, um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be a consult room. It could be another room where you don't do dental treatment. Everybody's Mm. office is different. But it has to be somewhere where you don't perform dentistry. Right, right, right. Okay. Did you as, as long as as long as those two are met, um, then you know you're fine. But even so, I would ask um, an attorney to go through your informed consent. That I would I have sample consents that I can give you, but you would always, of course, be diligent and have an attorney look at it to make sure everything is correct and and it's a proper informed consent for the patient. Sure. Uh, now on a, on a very similar note, so. For example, uh, now the other important key members in the office is assistants uh, and or hygienists. How do you relate uh, such a new concept of energy psychology to them? Hey, I'm only trying to tap their acupressure points. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> how do I bring them on board? Basically, uh, for for example, somebody somebody does come and learn uh, the energy psychology method. Um, and and how does he come back to the office on the next Monday, for example? Uh, and then he say, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna start doing this. How do I bring my other staff members on board for that?" Of course, that's great. Remember that whoever um, facilitates the session needs to be trained and certified. So. This is not something that the doctor knows how to do and is certified in and then gives instruction to their hygienist or assistant to do it on the patient. Um, Whoever is certified and trained, that's what I would recommend, would be able to do it with the patient. I would not recommend the dentist saying, well, I've learned it and I'm going to show it to you. um, Oh, no, 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 no. no. I think... I think uh, I'm asking something else. So let's say I come and learn from you, right? Uh, and you've taught me. And I come back come back home, uh, sorry, to work uh, the following week, Monday, and say, and I talk to my staff members, listen, I am certified 
right? I'm going to do uh, all the energy psychology methods. Uh, now, how do I convince my staff members and my uh, hygienists, etc., to convince them to that I'm not doing some voodoo stuff? I'm I'm actually doing uh, I'm actually doing something credible, something really important, so that yeah. so that the whole environment in the office is congenial for the patient in a way. Absolutely. I understand that now. Yes, that would be great because, you know, you want your staff to also be able to answer questions if patients ask it or talk to patients and say, yes, Dr. Pence is now doing this and it's great and, you know, go over the benefits of the patient. So that's a great question. Um, I was also concerned about this and it's amazing. Our, you know, our team um, in general, assistants, hygienists, they already know so much. They've heard it. They get so excited when their dentist starts to talk to them about this. It's mm. amazing how much they know. Oh. And um, the way to explain it to them, even if they don't know anything, is to tell them the benefits. You know, when you, when you talk to your hygienist, you say, hey, Sally, I know how frustrating it is when patients come in and they're fearful and you you basically don't know how to help them. So there is this certification that Dr. Saleh, for example, is offering, and I'm going to be doing that. Um, it will help our patients with their anxiety and fear. Mm. Mm. And I want you to be able to talk to that about it, talk to your patients about it, because once I'm certified, I'm going to be offering this service. Okay. And you will be amazed. I mean, they're going to be so excited and all over it. It's mm. I've never, I've never brought something new into my practice where it has resulted in so much joy from my staff well, <laughs> that this method did. Let's put it this way: uh, you are one of the five person in the whole connect, uh, in the whole country, I should say, uh, the top five person because everywhere I see one common thing that the staff they don't like change, uh, they don't mm -hmm. like change, they don't like you know even if I move their stapler from left to right. And yes. they're like, where the F is my stapler, you know? Um, yes. <laughs> and, oh, right? It is very true. So uh, bringing a whole new concept uh, to a uh, to new office, um, I think there would be some kind of, I don't want to use the word resistance, but a, a little bit of hand-holding and teaching and making sure that they are, you know, really comfortable about, uh, the, the energy psychology method. Uh, otherwise, uh, if they're not open-minded, some offices have older staff members who've been doing this thing for 30 years. They don't want to move, change anything. So I think, I think it is really important for them to bring on board before we start. Uh, that's my, my personal advice, but you know, everybody knows their staff members better than me. Uh, so I think. Um, Dr. Pence, I would like to answer that. Um, fear of change. Fear of change is one of those fears that's very common. It's, it's our staff, our patients. Nobody likes change, and you're absolutely right. Um, the best way to help them understand the benefits of this is to, you know, do it on them. Hmm. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's something in every individual that they have fear and anxiety around. It doesn't have to be dental fear and anxiety per se. Maybe they're afraid of swimming. 
mm. something. But as dentists, um, you know, we obviously want to do it because, you know, dental care and anxiety is in our realm of work. Um, but just do it on one person or every staff member and let them experience it themselves. Hmm. That would okay. be the best way. All right. Of course, of course, after they sign the informed consent and all that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> a given. Right. Um, <laughs> so where can one learn such a technique um, of well-referred dentist? Do you teach them? Do you? I do. Yeah, I do teach it. I do teach it. Um, it is. I teach it on Zoom. Um, it can be done online on Zoom. Um, I have an eight-week program that I teach dentists. Um, if they're local, I will go to their office. Um, you know, I'm there helping them understand it while they practice on people. So I'm very um, kind of involved in their teaching, in the teaching, and um, and then they get certified at the end if they pass the exam. And, um, and then we can go do it. I mean, on the first day when I go through muscle testing, there will be homework to go ahead and muscle test on you know, at least 10 patients to get the feel for it. So it's very hands-on. Hmm. Okay. Now, are you the only one in the country doing it, something like that? Or there are other dentists or teachers available? You know, you're all the way up in California. That's why I ask. Yeah, I am. Sure. And that's why I offer it online. So anybody can, you know, any anybody in the United States or outside can access me. Um, but I'm not aware of anybody else that does dental mm. care and anxiety. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, people who teach energy psychology methods, but um, not not for dental. I don't. At least if they are, I don't know. I don't know who it is. Okay. Um, okay. And people can just go on my website, which is www drbetasale.com go to the contact section and send me um, send me a, uh, just something saying that I'm interested it's called the fearless way method I'm interested in doing the fearless way method that comes directly to me and I usually set up a call for your audience mm -hmm. I do a 60 minute um, complimentary 60 minute call um, just to make sure that you know they're fully committed and then um, yeah then we start on Zoom. And now Zoom, uh, everything is Zoom these days, you know, even dentistry is, <laughs> I wish we could do dentistry on Zoom. Um, <laughs> I know, isn't it? All, all the teledentistry is now uh, apparently done on Zoom. I'm not sure, actually. I better retrieve that. Yeah, well, but Zoom is a great conferencing platform. <laughs> right, right. Um, teledentistry, uh, I did a very good interview with, um, uh, I think, your neighbor in L.A., uh, Dr. Arsh Hakamian. <laughs> Uh, podcastofdentistry.com slash uh, session 11. Uh, I think it was a really good good interview. Uh, he talks not only about himself but also about, you know, not <laughs> tele-dentistry. Uh, it was a fun interview. Initially, I thought it was going to be a very uh, boring interview, to be honest, but I think it came out nice. Yeah. I was happy with it. Well, I definitely have to listen to that. Yeah, yeah. that's very important, yeah. especially now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, now this one question which I didn't ask you um, uh, was primarily for me, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to understand the two um, terminologies that you used in the book, intuition and self-esteem. Mm -hmm. that, that's a great question. 
So intuition is that gut feeling that we often feel and everyone has intuition. It's not, it's not like some lucky people do and some don't. Um, it's, it's a natural ability to get that gut feeling. Um, not everyone actually listens to that intuition. The only way, um, actually, intuition isn't loud. Like, there's nobody knocking and saying, danger, danger, don't do that. It's not right. like that. It's very really subtle. It's, it's like a very subtle whisper. Like, I'm sure you've experienced this before. Maybe you're in a situation and you say to yourself, no, I just don't have a good feeling about this. Yeah. I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. I just don't feel great about this. Right. And that's your intuition speaking. So, for example, when you're giving anesthetic to a patient and the patient gets numb and then you start working on the tooth, your high-speed drill's going, all of a sudden you might get this feeling that the patient is losing their numbness. And so a person who trusts their intuition um, we'll stop and they'll say, Hey, Mrs. Jones, are you okay? Are mm. you starting to feel, this? you know, and that pa- patient will say, Oh gosh, yeah, I was going to say something, but I was going to wait to see if it gets worse. Mm. So the dentist listened to their intuition and verbalized that to the patient. The patient now feels great because they're like, wow, you care so much. Um, and they feel safe with you, but not everybody listens to their intuition. They'll doubt it and right. they'll keep going until then, you know, by the time the patient actually feels that they're jumping out of their chair. Mm-hmm. What we found is that, you know, self-esteem is very important so that you trust yourself enough where you can trust your intuition. So the minute that weird feeling comes, you're like, oh, you know what? She's losing her numbness. I better stop now. Mm. Mm. Wow. So that's, that's how that's how self-esteem around um, your intuition. That's how they're connected. So self-esteem is keeping faith in the intuition, the subtle message that you hear, and mm-hmm. and acting upon it. Yes, absolutely. And intuition can be, it's, it's, it's not only heard, it could be just a feeling, it could be, you know, auditory, meaning that you hear something, it could be just a knowing that you mm-hmm. have no idea how you know, but you know. Yeah. Um, so it has different forms. Sometimes it's, it's felt, um, so it appears in different ways. Right, right. Well, the reason this these two words were so important uh, for me this is all about me, uh, not for my audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're welcome to listen. <laughs> uh, jokes apart. Uh, the reason it was important for me was because uh, almost a year ago, I felt that I had an intuition of something, you know, in, in general life, you know, um, and or dentistry. I don't remember the exact uh, event. Uh, but then I did not listen to it. Even though I, I heard the whisper, but mm-hmm. I didn't respect the whisper as yeah. right. And then uh, I kept that as a, uh, a signal for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then 
next time somebody whispers to me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. listen to it and see how it goes, you know, just to verify if my intuition is mm-hmm. correct or not. And, and, and I listened to that next time. Uh, and I think it was correct if I remember correctly. So, um, I continued listening to a little more and my, uh, and I think this topic also started because I was discussing with another friend of mine and, and she says she's, she's very intuitive. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is intuition? I mean, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, I'm a very logical left, you know, left brain guy, you know, but yeah. lately in the past one to three years, I've, you know, using my right side too, I should say a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> uh, you, you were saying something to add on to, uh, intuition. Yeah, the, the, and that's great that you, first of all, you became aware of those subtle messages you were getting and you did your own experiment. Next time it happens, I'm going to, you know, listen to it. But also a great way to, um, find out if your intuition is correct or not is to do muscle testing. So muscle testing, um, as we covered before, it's the body's response to a true or false question. Mm-hmm. And, um, as you do muscle testing on a patient, or you can even do it on yourself, you will intuitively know what the answer is. And then when you muscle test, the muscle test confirms what you knew intuitively. Hmm. Does that make sense? So when you start doing muscle testing, it's a great, it's like training wheels. For hmm. your intuition to wow. actually trust your intuition. Well, you answered my next question. I think you have a lot of intuition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my next question was actually <laughs> was on a similar note that how could I actually do the muscle test on myself and learn to, you know, use muscle test as a training wheel? I was about to say something similar and you said, you already said it. So, so muscle test, I can do it on myself too. Is that what you're saying? You yes, absolutely. Um, you won't be using the deltoid muscle. Okay. But you'll be. You can use your fingers. And since we're not on video, I can't show you. Um, but for example, I'll try to describe it. You you can put your the tips of your middle finger and your thumb together, so it forms a circle. Yeah. And yeah. with the other hand, so you maintain this circle, let's say with your right hand. With your other hand, you take your middle finger and index finger yeah. and you put it inside that circle and you go to break that circle. So you push your um, left hand index fingers into where the contact is between your middle finger and thumb and you try to break the circle. Okay, okay. So... You know, let's say you ask, my name is Beta, and you can see if that's a correct statement for you or not. Okay. Since it's not for you, when you go to break the circle, the circle will break. Oh, because wow. it's a false statement for Dr. Pink, right? But when I do it, and I try to break that circle, I won't be able to break that circle because it's a true statement for me. So my muscle, my whole body will hold that as truth and it'll be strong. Whereas if it's a false statement for you, your muscles will not be strong. They will, the circle will break. Oh, wow. So that's just a testing method. Um, many other people use a pendulum 
and they have to kind of train themselves like how would the pendulum move for a true statement or a false statement that's another way but that could be i, I don't like using that i do okay. like using your own hands to see mm-hmm. um if you can bite the circle or not wow yeah i think um this one question was enough uh was good enough for me to the whole episode a whole session <laughs> yeah um any any other any other ways uh of improving intuition um any other ways uh you think somebody can listen to the whisper um it's a great way is journaling um when you do feel something instead of dismissing it write about it and date it so check back maybe a week later and look at the circumstances that happened or a month later and look at the circumstances that happened and see if that intuition was correct or not. Uh, journaling is a great way to um, do it as well. Um, a lot of times dreams, um, you know, we often get dreams where symbols are shown to us mm-hmm. and um, the intuition, the feeling that we get after a dream um, tells us whether this was an important symbol. Mm. You know, sometimes maybe foretelling of a future incident that is going to happen or not. And those are called precognitive dreams. Mm. So a lot of times we can use our intuition to help us figure out what the meaning of a dream was. Um, I touch upon that in my second book um, that is com- is going to be published next year. But yes, there are many ways. But practice, practice, practice. That's the best way to... Um, that really strengthen your intuition. And the more you have evidence coming up that, yes, my intuition was right, mm-hmm. when I felt this and that, look, look what came true. It was absolutely right. Mm. Um, you'll get, you'll trust it more. You'll believe in it more. So that next time it happens, you, know, you will stop and pay attention to it. Mm. That's interesting. That's- and the important thing is Everyone has it. It's a natural ability that you know we have as human beings. It's not. It's not only a few people that have it. Um, yeah. It's just that the important thing is whether we trust it enough to pay attention to it and act upon it or not. Now, uh, I usually don't dream. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Doctor Panks, everybody dreams. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, okay. Look, I, Well, I'm not saying absolutely not absolutely not at all. I'm saying, you know, once in two months I would dream something uh, because I'm usually okay. The way the way it works for me is, I only sleep when I'm dead tired. So as soon as mm-hmm. I fall on the bed, I just sleep. So yeah. uh, un- until then, I would be awake doing something, reading online or whatever. But um, uh, I know it's a fun thing which I'm speaking about, but. I don't usually uh, okay if I do, if I do dream um I don't remember any of it. Yeah that's the key because you know um well dream science shows that we all dream but we just not everyone remembers their dreams. Mm. That's what um science shows. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I, that's that's very interesting because that's that's one thing that I discuss in my second book. um as as an indication of how sometimes when we have a limiting belief about something mm. and do you know what i mean by limiting belief yeah yeah i do 
I do. So, yeah, okay. please. But uh, so, well, 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 my audience doesn't. Why don't you tell? Okay. So a limiting belief um, forms when, and I'll use an example because it will be easier. Let's say when you were a child, um, you were cooking, um, cooking, you were baking cookies with your mom. Mm. The phone rings, she gets out of the kitchen, and you go to continue, and you put the cookies in the oven, and you hurt yourself, you burn yourself. And it's a really bad burn. So as a child, you will form this belief that oven can hurt you. And that's a valid belief for a child going through that. Yeah. But if that belief is stored in your memory as you grow up and you become an adult, and the chances of you getting burned on an oven is pretty remote, but you still have that belief in your memory, and it's so bad that it prevents you from going forward in life to the point that you avoid kitchens altogether, um, then that becomes a limiting belief. Mm. Mm. So sometimes when we have limiting beliefs and life gives us experience after experience to the point that that limiting belief now needs to not become a limiting belief, often we can have dreams that reinforces that. Okay, that was that was a belief in childhood. Now a new belief can replace that belief, something that's not so limiting. So that's a part of dream science where our dreams can help us. Interpretation of dreams can help us understand and replace an old belief with a new belief. Mm. Yeah. No, that's interesting. No, no, that is um, that is. That is interesting. I mean, I have read it, uh, read about it, but uh, I think um, I was uh, research, um, listening to uh, Dax Shepherd. Um, uh, it's it's an it's a podcast named as Armchair Expert with Dax Shepherd, and there is one um, podcast which was released on March nineteenth uh, mm-hmm. named Tom Silver. He actually tries to change those limiting beliefs. He's a hypnotherapist himself. Uh, so somebody who's interested into listening to something like that, um, I think we should listen to Tom Silver on Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. It was an interesting uh, podcast. So I would recommend mm-hmm. you to go through if you wanted to. But thank Absolutely. you. I, I, was, I was reading that you are a certified coach uh, by ICF. Mm-hmm. What what are you? What do you coach people as? What do you teach them uh, by being a coach? I mean, are you teaching them how to be how to use uh, well referred dentist method, or is there anything else involved in the whole coaching? Absolutely. Um, so I would love to answer that question. Um, a lot of people nowadays are calling themselves a coach without proper training. Um, for example, um, when I came up with the walrus or dentist method, um, I could just get in front of my audience and just teach that, just say, hey, do this, X, Y, Z, and go forward. And, you know, I could give step-by-step instructions. Mm. That's really the job of a consultant. When a consultant gets in front of a dentist and says, okay, to meet your production numbers, this is a list of things that you can do. So right. go do it. Okay. A coach, however, will come in and look at your numbers with you. They will go through your values, 
what you find fulfilling in life, what your boundaries are. A coach will really get into who you are as a person. Mm. And based on that, they will help you write your policies. So a coach will not come in and say, do X, Y, Z, like a consultant does. A coach walks with you every step of the path and helps you do a customized policy, for example, based Mm. on you, the individual you. Okay. So when I decided to um, help dentists with their practices, I have a lot of knowledge. I've been, you know, practicing for 30 years. I know the operation of a practice backwards and forwards and left and right and every angle. Mm-hmm. But, but what, what worked for me may not work for another individual because our values are different. So for me to be able to help every dentist who approaches me, I would have to be a coach who can unravel this dentist life, what they what they need as individuals, what they value, what they find fulfilling. And that's how I can help them every step of the way into coming up with a practice that they can be successful in. Mm. Okay. So a coach is very different to a consultant and learning how to be a coach really does require training. Okay. Um Someone really can't call themselves a coach just because they have experience in dentistry. That's a misnomer. You can't really self-proclaim that you are a coach. To To be a coach and know how to walk that path with your client really requires um, training. And there are many training schools, Mm -hmm. but the ones that are accredited by ICF, which is International Coach Federation, those that are accredited are the programs that are really good and they, um, obviously there's a reason they're accredited because they follow proper coaching, um, methods. And okay. it's a world of difference. It's mm. a world of difference. So I figured, okay, I can't really self-proclaim myself as a coach unless I get properly trained. Okay. And that's why I went through a one-year program with an accredited coaching program to learn how to be that kind of a coach. So do you work at ICF? Do you work with one particular mentor or coach? What's the process basically at ICF? You have to, um, you basically go through a one-year training um, by an accredited program, meaning that one that ICF says, yes, this program is accredited. So it's they like a school, a just like a university or a school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just like, and it's you know, it's um, it's in person, some of it's online, but it's it's a mixed bag of whether it's online or in person. And you actually work on clients. Okay. So you have to have a certain number of hours that you work on clients. I think it's hundred hours or more. Um, mm. I think I have hundred fifty hours of actually working on clients. Okay. And once you finish that program and there's a lengthy exam certification exam it's not only written and it's also it's not multiple choice it's actually writing and also oral once you pass that then um you can become a member of icf okay and um and then based on the hours then icf has its own um credentialing beyond that um but that's the first step 
is to um, go through an accredited program and become um, a certified professional um, coach. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, uh, thank you. Um, I think uh, this this much of um, well referred dentist uh, information is it's really dense in a way uh, because they have to accept and open up uh, what you've been trying to say and uh, teach here. I think we can we can go to the next phase here, uh, and I, I call this phase as uh, Tim Ferriss inspired questions. You know, you asked me a question about what's the best way for dentists to introduce this to their patients. Right. Yeah. 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 I want to. I want to add to that. Um, I want to go back and add to that because this is a perfect time for dentists sure. to do that. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to ask me that, I'm, I'll. I'd be happy to go into more detail. So, going back to when you said, what's the easiest way for dentists to? present this message to patients right now during the COVID-19 stay at home. Everyone, every patient is um, going through a lot of fear and anxiety. Mm. And, you know, I realize that dentists need to get trained and certified and that would be a two-month period. It's a great time to either write a letter to your patients or announce it on your Facebook page that, you know, we're, we're aware that a lot of people are in fear and anxiety about the future, about the unknown. So um, we are actually in training to um, to um, be trained on a method that we can help our patients with this fear and anxiety. And we're all working really hard to learn this. Please ask us about this when you come back. Mm. And or when the stay at home is finished, um, it's a great opportunity to follow up and say. You know, regarding our training, we've done our training. We're so excited about this. It's, it's helped so many of our patients, our staff, um, and we'd love to tell you more about it. And that's when you can introduce the method to them. And I think that'll be a good idea. That'll be a good idea. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so now, uh, moving to the next phase, uh, I love this this phase of uh, interview. Uh, um, the last interview I did with uh, Dr. R. Shakamian. Um, and, uh, I had to, in, in the introduction, I said, even if you're not interested in teledentistry, don't listen to him. Just go and listen to the Tim Ferriss inspired questions. Um, and you'll be happy that you listened. Uh, and believe me, uh, I love this section of my, uh, interview. So the, uh, you seem to me a very, um, grounded person okay not centered but really grounded person uh, i'm sure you're centered too but uh grounded person so do you have any morning ritual and any best practices that you do every day uh, for you to be <laughs> grounded for you to be successful uh, uh this is such a juicy question <laughs> oh, we um, all we have I'm all gonna, the time oh i'm gonna go back to um Okay, so in 2007, I moved my practice um, 12 miles away. I had just spent a large amount of money building um, a new office that was just, it was beautiful, but it was also very expensive. So my overhead was now through the roof. Yeah. And when I moved is when um, 
is February of 2008 is when we opened our doors. And that's, of course, when the financial crisis happened and the Great Recession happened. And nobody was happy about the change, you know, the fear of change that you were talking yeah. about before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody was happy about this change. No one cared that we were in this beautiful office now. And, um, you know, the, the chaos that was happening at that point, and I described this in my second book in a lot more detail, was honestly it was overwhelming. And the prior year, I had pretty much two full-time jobs. One was, um, you know, planning for this build-out, getting getting bank loan and, you know, that um, getting an architect and an engineer and all the things that go with the build-out. And I was also practicing full-time. Yeah. So I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. And right. then after a year of having two full-time jobs, now I was in a position where um, my overhead was 10 times more and mm-hmm. no one was happy about the change. <laughs> And uh, I noticed that I started getting headaches. And, you know, before that I had headaches, but they weren't bad enough to, um, where I had to miss a lot of work. But these were actually migraines. And there was one period where I had a migraine for three months. Wow. Every day. Every day. Mm. And it was, it was like I had my fingers on 911 the whole time, like thinking that my brain was about to explode and I would have to call 911. And, um, you know, I did all the tests that you do when you have a migraine to make sure there's no, um, no problem with, with things that are physiological, et cetera, and everything came back negative. So oh. we knew it wasn't that. And so basically it became clear that it was just yeah. And so as a last resort, I mean, I even tried acupuncture, nothing worked. And finally I said, okay, I'll try meditation. And mm-hmm. I remember all my life, you know, being a type A personality that most dentists are, I was no different. You know, it was <laughs> always about go, go, go and do, do, do. And, you know, don't ever stop for a break. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, my body was telling me, okay, enough is enough. To, you know, you need to, you need to stop. Right. And I enrolled in transcendental meditation and, um, mindfulness. I tried mindfulness meditation years ago and it didn't work. So I tried transcendental and, um, Dr. Pancho was amazing. Like mm. my migraine within four days of learning transcendental, um, my migraines were less frequent, less severe, and within a few years, they were completely gone to the point that my, my neurologist couldn't believe it. It was, it was amazing. But meditation pretty much, I think, saved my life. And when I continue doing that twice a day, so with PM, and by the way, I have no, I'm, I'm not advertising for PM in any way. Yeah. But it's the something that worked for me. Hmm. Um, so I have continued that um, every day, twice a day, 20 minutes um, in the morning before I start my day and 20 minutes around 5 or 6 o'clock at the end of my day. And um, the days that I don't do it because I get lazy or I allow other things to take priority, I really feel it those days where I'm hmm. not grounded in my senses. So I cannot the importance of meditation for 
for example, from, you know, business owners who wear many hats. Um, for me, it's made a big difference. I do that. And also, um, there's a grounding meditation, which I'm going to talk about, but it does require some training. So yeah. I don't want to, um, I don't want to, you know, summarize it and, and, um, belittle how important the training is. But um, you actually ground your physical body to the earth where you create a pathway where negative feelings that affect your physical body can be transferred through that pathway to um, to the earth. Mm-hmm. And um, and once you go through, at first when you do it, it's like a 30-minute meditation. But once you achieve that grounded state, you can also train yourself to be in that place of groundedness within one second. But you have to train yourself to get there. And then once you're there, you can say, for example, I am in that grounded state and your memory will take you right into that state. Mm-hmm. So I do that often. I come, for example, when I'm on the road and somebody cuts me off, I sometimes have to say that <laughs> to myself a few times. <laughs> I know. And, um, those are, those are kind of the two yeah. my go-to um, on a daily basis. Hmm. No, um, yeah, uh, TM, TM is where did you where did you uh, learn your TM meditation? Where did you go? Um, um, I did a Google search, and apparently every um, county or city has a TM instructor. So hmm. by going to the TM site. Um, you can put your zip code in there and they tell yeah, you. TM.org. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. TM.org. I know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, TM, learning TM is very expensive. Um, if you're a doctor or physician or even I could write you a letter saying that, um, TM would help this person, um, on a, on a medical basis mm-hmm. or a mental basis to reduce their stress you immediately get, I think it's a 50% reduction in price. Yeah, and, and everybody uh, can use that letter. Yeah, it makes it more affordable. Yeah. Um, there's a four-day training where you go and get trained by an instructor who's, um, you know, an instructor in TM, and then, and then you're done. It's a lifetime of um, training sessions. If you need more training later, you can just contact the instructor and go in for more. So all the extra trainings are all free for a lifetime. Wow. That's great. So TM. Okay. Um, now how did you, how did you even end up getting into TM? Somebody, did somebody recommend it to you? Um, well, at the point where the migraines were going on, um, you know, all the medical tests were negative and, you know, I, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's stress that's causing the migraine. And, um, my father, actually, he's a neurosurgeon, so it, it was interesting because as a neurosurgeon, he didn't have any answers for me mm-hmm. and his daughter. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, he, he has never believed in meditation, never, ever. And <laughs> just as a last resort because, you know, my family was literally watching me with this migraine, and it, I'm sure it wasn't easy on them. So he was the one that finally said, I don't know. Hi, meditation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah. And that was actually what helped. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, what got me into it. What other changes? You've been doing it since 2007, if I may understand. Uh, it's been uh, more than 2008. It's, all, it's still more than 10 years or so. Um, yeah. What have you experienced of, uh, you know, in Dr. Bita Saleh uh, 10 years ago who wasn't doing meditation and now? Mm. And of course, of course, the migrants are gone, mm. that we know. But what else has changed in either your personality or life or or in, in, in general? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so much on this has changed. Um, one thing that's really recognizable is I'm less reactive. Mm. So when, um, when I'm with a negative person who, you know, constantly um, triggers you, I'm able to hold my myself and my energy and not get affected by them. Okay. So instead of reactive, I'm able to stay grounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I notice um, a lot. And also, by the end of the day, I don't, I don't, I'm not so drained. You know, I feel like, okay, I have another four or five hours in me to, you know, do whatever. Mm. Um, just the overwhelm of negativity is a lot less. Do you think uh, you've got more physical energy or do you think you can handle more pressure uh, even though your physical energy is similar or same? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it's more um, being able to handle pressure probably. Right. Yeah, because if you don't, you know, going back to energy psychology, if there's negative energy around you and you absorb it, you're mm-hmm. going to end up with disruption of energy flow in the meridian pathways. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just that can have a physical impact on you. Mm. So you get drained, you get tired, you're worn out. Whereas if you don't allow that negative energy to affect you, you're not going to let your energetic pathways to become blocked or distorted. So you're able to function as a healthy person versus Somebody who doesn't have proper energy flow and, you know, gets sick or gets migraines or whatever, however it manifests in the physical body. Do you think uh, with energy psychology, you could say that you become all those negative energies going in wrong direction or in opposite direction, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They are being corrected by your meditation? Could I say that? Um, being corrected by meditation. Oh, I'm not sure if that sure if meditation is correcting them. Meditation is, I think it's allowing me to be in my grounded state and not take on negative feelings coming from others. And I'm not perfect at it, by the way. I, mm-hmm. I do, I do, I still do get affected. When um, I have a lot of negative energy around me, I do get affected. But there is also that awareness that you realize immediately what's happening, hmm. and you know you don't you don't go through a whole day and not realize what's happening. You immediately catch it, and you say, "Oh, you know what? This is what's happening." 
I know absorbing other people's negative feelings. These are not my feelings. These are other people's feelings that I'm absorbing. So I can quickly do a tapping. And on all my acupuncture points, quick tapping. And immediately I feel more balanced. It's like that that distortion of energy flow, that blockage of energy flow, I immediately release it. So it doesn't even have time to affect my physiology. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, that's a, I think uh, that's, that's a good um, standing energy psychology with, in terms of meditation. I think that's what I was trying to do. Um, now, the most gifted book if you have given Hi Dr. Pink. Uh hi Dr. Saleh, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, good. All right. Um uh can you hear me clearly? <laughs> I can hear you perfect. Before we are um, going on, I want to bring up one more thing. Is that okay? Yeah, good. Please. Um, there was a part in that little clip that you sent me at the beginning where it asked me, you know, what I do um, at the start of the day, and I brought up PM. There was also another thing I said I do, which is a grounding meditation. And the way I heard it on that clip, those two were blended together whereas TM and this grounding meditation are completely two different things the grounding meditation is just something I created to get grounded properly and TM is TM but the way it's sounding it sounds like they're one thing my understanding was that they are two different things uh, I did not at least uh, you know presumed that they were done together I presumed, at least with my understanding, that it was there were two separate things, and this is what you do. You know, uh, you do TM, and then you do grounding meditation. Okay, good. Maybe it was just the clip I got. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I understood uh, uh, clearly. Uh, I wasn't okay. confused about it. Yeah. Okay, that's fine then. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right, so... Um, I know we were talking about, uh, discussing about this particular uh, question. Only one question we have right here. And uh, uh, I... So, do you think uh, a meditation... Okay, um, I think I'll uh, go back a little bit. I don't want you to read through whatever you've already sent me. Obviously, you can take mm -hmm. help of what you've already written so that it doesn't seem like you're reading. Uh, rather, yeah. uh, you know... Um, Whatever you want to say, just say it, you know, casually. Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, um, do you think uh, meditation uh, can actually correct flow problems or energy flow problems based on your energy psychology? Um, what kind of meditation are you talking about? Whatever you follow up. Like, uh, I think you do TM. So, maybe uh, oh. we should stick to TM uh, per se. Okay. Okay, no problem. Um, in order to answer this question, um, it's, it's better to just discuss a little bit about the um, result that we get from TM and how TM works versus energy psychology. 
So um, with with transcendental meditation, when it's done correctly and over time, um, the individual transcends thought altogether, which means there's absence of thought. Hmm. Now, going back to um, energy psychology, um, if there's a negative thought that is created due to trauma, for example, which is what we're dealing with in, in dentistry and our patients that are fearful, when there's trauma, there's negative feelings created. And it's the negative feelings that disrupt energy flow through the meridians. If that disruption isn't cleared in a timely manner and energy disruptions continue, then it can cause disease or pathology or whatnot. So when we speak of meditation, um, as far as perhaps meditation prevents energy to be disrupted, However, I don't know of any studies um, that uses energy psychology, I mean, um, uses muscle testing, which is very centered around energy psychology. I don't know of any studies mm-hmm. that use muscle testing to test whether meditation corrects energy flow disruptions. I don't know of any studies. Okay, okay. But the beauty of energy psychology is that it doesn't deal with thought. It just goes right to energy disruption. It finds out through muscle testing and energy psychology methods which meridians are blocked, and it goes to clear those. So it bypasses thought, because thought can be very tricky. The mind can be very tricky. Um, Usually, negative thoughts from trauma are stored in the subconscious mind, so they're not even in the present moment. They only come into present awareness when our patients are triggered by, let's say, a smell or seeing a white coat or the dental chair. Usually, though, when they meditate at home, they're not going to be triggered. They're not going to have all those traumatic memories in their present moment. So because of that, I think I would say no, um, that meditation doesn't um, correct energy flow problems that are existing. Okay. And uh, do you think... uh with with your method of well-referred dentist method, do you think uh, those energy flow problems can be permanently cured? Uh, I think you answered it once, but I'm just mm-hmm. emphasizing again. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you think they can be permanently cured uh, by going through the reversal process of well-referred dentist that's in your book? It's not so much reversal, but um, at least the study that I did with my my patients, my participants um, in the study was that um, they remember the memory. They remember that, for example, their previous dentist traumatized them. Mm -hmm. But the charge, the emotional charge about that is no longer present. And I saw these patients over a three-year period after... um, doing the energy psychology method on them. And these initially, these were patients that when you ask them from a scale of zero to 10, um, 10 is the worst fear and anxiety you have about dentistry, they would say, 
I'm seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, or twelve. So these were very fearful patients. Yeah. Um, and as I saw them through the years after that, they were completely a different person. And when I would ask them, "Did you do your homework?" Most of them said no, which means that <laughs> they didn't. They didn't repeat it. They didn't repeat the meridian tapping that that I found for them. Yeah. So because of that, maybe we can say, yes, it's very probable that that one session, that one 90-minute session of energy, energy psychology did did help them permanently remove the charge on that traumatic memory. Now, um, those patients were in your own office, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, when you left your practice in 2017, mm-hmm. With your experience or whatever you know, uh, do you think those patients still came back uh, even when Dr. Saleh was gone from the office? I don't know. I I didn't. I'm not mm. in daily um, contact. The reason yeah. I ask is the reason I ask is is it because the trust that they developed in uh, Dr. Saleh versus. Uh, that well-referred method of energy psychology that you worked upon them for 90 minutes mm-hmm. actually changed mm-hmm. them to accept dentistry. Am I making sense here? Yeah, absolutely. There's two There's two questions in there, I think. Um, one, one you're asking is, okay, you did the energy psychology method on this patient, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you developed this amazing trust with them is, of course, the trust that I develop as a result of doing this, these methods. That's between me and the patient. Right. Um, if they go to somebody else, another dentist, mm-hmm. would, that, would that trust be present with that other dentist? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. But what I do know is that if we just look at the trauma that they, that they um, endured, and the negative feelings that came out of that trauma, those are are those um, charges of emotional charges are gone. So if they if they couldn't sit in a chair for let's say more than fifteen minutes, and they couldn't open their mouth because they were so afraid, if they're going to go to another dentist, it doesn't matter. There's there's still they, they'll be able to sit in the chair long enough to get treatment done, and they'll open their mouth properly. So that has nothing to do with the dentist. That has to do with clearing the negative thoughts, the emotional trauma around that. No, I understand that. Experience. But I certainly understand mm-hmm. that. But so with your method, are you saying uh, if you've done it and the patients have actually – uh, the, the the trauma, the triggers, the triggers are actually, since they are gone, the patients are actually more compliant, uh, not only with you, but also with other dentists. Hmm, interesting. Oh, interesting. So, in a way, are you, are you also implying, are you also implying that uh, if we extrapolate this, study of well-referred dentists. Now, this is, I'm curiosity. This is only curiosity. It has nothing to do with dentistry, but I'm thinking in in a way that um, people have traumatizing events uh, in their lives, mm, accidents, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, and, and, you know, 
bad memories while they were kids or whatever you know um do you think i'm extrapolating it right now uh do you think with your method they can actually accept those triggers and not be affected by them uh almost permanently Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Let's wow. say somebody had a drowning experience or let's say somebody had a problem, has a problem with flying. Um, they can't get into an airplane. Um, they can't get into water because they had a drowning experience. This method can work on any um, previous trauma. Now, if a dentist decides to do this method in their office, it's best to stay with dental trauma. However... Um, when you start clearing dental trauma, you may find that the original trauma was sexual abuse. Maybe it was something else. Now, before, you you need to go back to the original trauma and clear that and clear whatever else comes up in that line of trauma. And Mm -hmm. dental trauma may be included in that line. But if, for example, sexual abuse, the original one, you have to clear that one too. It's like opening a box that has a box within it and another box in it. So with energy psychology, you open the bigger box of trauma. And then once that trauma is cleared, then you can gain access to the inside box. And I understand. Yeah. Trauma. Hmm. So that goes on until you find the original one. Yeah, uh, because I I really know somebody who, um, you know, who had a bad experience while driving a car, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know she had an accident or something. Now she's so scared of driving a car that she doesn't drive. Mm-hmm. You know, her mm-hmm. her friends, her family members take her everywhere, and she's so scared. Even though she wants to buy a car, but for the same reason because she's so scared, um, like a trauma. So uh, that's why that's why I was curious. Anyways, yeah, absolutely. That can definitely work on her. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, thank you. Thank you for this question. Thank you for um, you know You're keeping welcome. up keeping up with my extra questions. By the way. <laughs> oh no, they're they're wonderful. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Good. Thank you. So um, uh, technically, we are. Technically, we are done here. Uh, do you have anything, um, any more, any other questions for me? Any other input for the whole thing? No, it was it was just so great. I just, um, I think it's so good using these um, questions in the last half because it really does get to get personal and um, kind of you get to know the person behind the recording. Yeah. So it's very nice. I appreciated it. Yeah, I mean, I love that. Uh, I always love the second part of the, my podcast, uh, yeah. you know, uh, because I get to know the person real. You know, uh, before that, it's just more about yeah, I do this, I do that, I go there, I yeah. go, you know. But yeah. you know, this is the process, and but I think these questions open up. Um, they really, they really open up the person inside out, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. and that's that's when people get connected. That's what my thought is. Yeah, Dr. Panks, do you think, based on what you know now, mm-hmm. do you think that dentists are apprehensive at, you know, using this method in their office and their patients? Do you think they would be apprehensive? Um, I'll be very honest, yes. 
yeah. even though uh, they have to be educated over and over, over and over, you know, right, uh, right, you know, right. uh, between yeah. you and me, for example, if Trump says, you know, uh, even though he lies, mm-hmm. whatever, <laughs> I don't know if you're a fan <laughs> or not, but, you know, uh, no. something which is something, something um, which is spoken over and over, there are certain mm-hmm. percentage of people who, uh, you know, who are always at the borderline. You know, with a little yeah. push, with a little education, a little more education, I should say, you know, um, uh, I think people who are at the borderline will start accepting it. And then when mm-hmm. they do that uh, and it mm-hmm. becomes uh, mm-hmm. a, a relatively norm, you know, for more people mm-hmm. doing it. Um, Are you talking about like organizations in dentistry? Is that what you mean by people in the No, even dentists, even regular dentists. Like for example, you know, oh. uh, a random dentist who actually Okay, I'm very open-minded, all right? Uh, oh. I'm very open-minded and and I have um uh, I mean, I've researched on psychosis, I've researched on um really deep um, you know, uh, questions uh that that'll gonna that's gonna be my next uh, podcast, which is going to go up in next um, this by the end of this week or early next week. Um, and mm-hmm. I will certainly share it with you because I think you might be interested in that. I told you about Dr. Mm-hmm. Phil Borges. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, I have a I've researched about all kinds of uh, podcasts, and I'm very being open minded. I can still see what where you're going with this. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but at the same time, the dentists, the way they are trained, even you yourself uh, would know, mm-hmm. the way they are mm-hmm. trained is they are very trained based on evidence-based dentistry or or yeah. based on, all right, the PubMed said, this article said, mm-hmm. this research said, mm-hmm. you know. So they are very left-hand, you know, left-brains, logical yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, people. Um mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's where you know people who are just at the border of left and right is the one mm-hmm. whom you can convert, and that will uh-huh. only be converted when they are being educated, either through yeah. uh, you know regular uh, Facebook live shows. Uh, what you can do, I would recommend, or uh, putting on YouTube live shows. Um, mm-hmm. One of my one of my friends, uh, she was my assistant. Uh, and she started reading uh, the cards, you know, those tarot cards. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what she simply did was she talked to one of her friends and she started posting live videos for like two hours, maybe three hours, mm-hmm. you know, whatever her process of reading the tarots were. Um, mm-hmm. But be- because of that, some people got involved uh, started mm-hmm. watching that those things, and I was one of them because she's a friend of mine, right? But yeah. um, logically speaking, eh, that's nothing, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes you need some help, you need some information which you cannot get, mm-hmm. and then you reach out to the person. And then I did reach out to her because I wanted to ask a question, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. so she read tarot cards for me, even though I did not mm-hmm. believe in it. So what I'm trying to say is. In your way, I will I will call it as well referred dentist method or the beta sales method or you know something catchy, uh, and well, you know, I'm still the fearless way. Method. I'm so, That's what it's called. I'm sorry. 
It's called the Fearless Way Method. Yeah, even better. So Fearless Way Method, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so like, for example, you are, um, you got invited, you entered into my Facebook group. You know, you can mm-hmm. um, be actively involved uh, when I am, whenever in a month's time or so, uh, whenever I post your uh, podcast, um, mm-hmm. and then people would have questions and uh, you can do a small mm-hmm. webinar kind of thing and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. just yeah. uh, be available yeah, in short. Yeah, that's all. Exactly. Like be more, be so that people get to know about it, hear about it. Yeah. And um, I, hope, I hope I was clear that I actually teach this program, teach this method to dentists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight weeks. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, you you were very clear about it, um, but also uh, at the same time, um, I know we were discussing um, that uh, a link that goes from my podcast to yours, and you know, people will uh-huh. find you. People will find you, and especially when you've spoken about drpetersla.com, dot com, you know, people will find you um, if they're really interested. But even then, so my people coming from my podcast to you would be few in number. Why? Because they have to be really, really interested to come to you to find it. So sometimes it's a good idea to expose yourself, advertise yourself, uh, maybe mm-hmm. doing some YouTube lives or Facebook lives or, you know, uh, what do you think yeah. you can do um, mm-hmm. uh, to talk about the fearless way method? Forget dentists, you know, just fearless mm-hmm. way method. Maybe you can come up with, uh, some other people who can be a part of you, you know, uh, um, like this, th- like, I think this is what you just said. Can it be implemented on somebody else for other traumas, not only dental traumas, but other traumas? Mm-hmm. And I think that was a mm-hmm. very good answer you gave. <clears throat> people would be interested to talk to you, not as dentistry per se, but their own traumas mm-hmm. or their friends or yeah. family's trauma. And then they will reach out to you for that. And I, I would yeah, say so in, be open for include that. Include the public. Is it like include the public in it? Yeah, yeah. People, um, there was another example I can give you. Uh, one of my f- uh, friends, he's, uh, he's very open to me and he's a, he hates his parents um, because mm-hmm. of his, you know, uh, the way he was brought up. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. he's a nice guy. His parents are nice, you know. Um, they're nice people, very hardworking and all. But, you know, for whatever reasons, uh, maybe those kind of people can actually use your fearless way uh, to mm-hmm. kind of melt away or at least mm-hmm. reduce down the yeah. triggers. Yeah. Um, on the very similar notes, I don't know if you know about psilocybin. Uh, mushrooms, basically. Uh, psilocybin uh, it's a it's a uh-huh. it's a compound mushroom uh, it's a compound in uh-huh. mushrooms which uh, uh-huh. uh, Tim Ferriss is actually paying uh, sponsoring the study on John Hopkins uh, where uh-huh. psilocybin is considered to be reducing down the previous trauma and erasing the previous trauma pretty much completely oh yeah I've heard about it they, they actually a therapist using that as a psychedelic method of, yes of bringing the person into the trauma and clearing it yeah that's been very useful yes yeah people like that people like that yeah 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 all right Uh, so i'm very glad that judy Judy worked out right 
doing yes. the podcast with you? Yes. Um, she sent me uh, she sent me an initial uh, reply for which I replied to her. Finally, we are going back and forth uh, to set up the mm-hmm. times. I'm going to offer her a couple of days, a uh, couple of times in uh, in May uh, to mm-hmm. to start. And I think I want to focus on the relationship between yeah. as you as you suggested that was a very good uh suggestion by the way thank you um, um and then uh, then i'm gonna research i have two big podcasts uh coming up next week uh and the following week so i am preparing for them uh, they're they're bigger podcasts so um and that takes much longer research right. i should say mm-hmm. anyways yeah so, you're busy that's great that's wonderful <laughs> thank you any other oh, input any other um uh, uh no, suggestions for me um no you're doing great i mean you're you're very good at creating a safe environment and um no i like keep doing what you're doing awesome. okay all right thank you <laughs> thank you so much for having me as a guest and yeah. please let me know when it will air so i can promote it as well yes uh, yes, and I, will. I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. All right. Have a great day, Dr. Pang. You too, Dr. Saleh. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Do you mm-hmm. like a particular book that you might have given? I think the question could also be paraphrased as, what is the one book that you love the most uh, that you mm-hmm. could have gifted somebody? Even if you didn't, that's okay. But Of course, yes. Um, that's an easy question. Um, the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. That book by itself, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I want to tell you why mm-hmm. I think that book is amazing. Because um, I've, I've started that book many times, and I couldn't finish it. I, ju- I would just leave it after reading, you know, 10 pages or whatever. But the one time that I actually did finish it and made a significant difference in my life, mm-hmm. um, what Eckhart explains so well in this book, not just explains it, but also shows you how to do it, is to be present in the present moment. Yeah. So two things that affect human beings are the past, you know, the negative experiences of the past, or the future, unknown, the fear of the unknown in the future. Right. So those two can really have an effect on us. But when you're in the present moment, you know, the past and the future is no longer of concern. So you're actually in this present moment where none of those worries and past negative experiences exist. Hmm. And um, it's, it's amazing. Like, sometimes I just have to remind myself that to be in the present moment, like, literally look at the trees that are in front of me or touch the table that is in front of me. Mm. And that's really important for people who, you know, who are fearful and anxious is to be, be in the present moment, to actually bring themselves to the present moment. Um, okay. Noticing their breath, for example, noticing their hands, you know, um, just anything that could bring them to the present moment. So this book is amazing. I highly recommend it. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, any other Any other books? Um, that you like? Uh, oh, I love so many. <laughs> I have a list actually on my um on my website. Um, so if if you go on my website, 
it will ask you if you want my anxiety free packet. Yeah. And all you have to do is say yeah. And um, I have some supplemental material that comes up. One of them is um, books that I really like. Yeah. On yeah. energy psychology methods and other things. But yeah, definitely please go to that list. Um, there's, <laughs> there's some amazing books, there's some amazing research that's done on energy psychology. So that's yeah. all that. <laughs> got it. No, got it, got it. Next is, what do people never ask you and you wish that they did? It's, it's, more, it's more about people making... It, I would love it for people to actually ask you or me how, how I feel and not make assumptions. Um, I think a lot of people, including myself, I think we were so quick at making assumptions. And actually, a, the book called The Four Agreements, mm-hmm. um, that's a great book that touches on this subject, saying don't make assumptions. When, for example, somebody is going through grief, um, my dog passed away six months ago, and um, it affected me. It was the worst experience that I've experienced in my life. So grief is one of those situations where people make a lot of assumptions mm-hmm. instead of just asking, um, what do you need at this moment? How can I help you at this moment? Like just asking how somebody's feeling um, and let them explain it to you is very similar to teacher of the heart where mm-hmm. you're just present for someone and you're not judging them, you're not assuming anything, you're just present, and you simply ask, how can I help you? How can I see you right now? Um, To really, truly be present, I wish more people would do that. Hmm. I was listening to another podcast on a similar topic. Can we actually see somebody without any judgment? I think it was Malcolm Gladwell. His uh, podcast is what I was listening to. And mm-hmm. and he said, no, because we'll have to erase our memories in a way. Um, but I get your point. Uh, it's like, and I also believe in a similar way. It gives a second chance, you know, give a chance before judging somebody completely. And it's one of the hardest things to do because I think we are, we are wired and we get wired in that way to uh, start thinking, start judging them in no time. That's what the human nature is. But as long as we are aware, even I think uh, Malcolm Gladwell said the same thing, as long as we are aware that we might be judging them, we are able to give a second chance a little more easily. Am I making sense here? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we, well, I would, I would disagree that it's not possible. I think it's, I think we can, but yes, it does require a lot of awareness mm-hmm. of, you know, of being in the present moment. And that, that's a very difficult um, lesson. That's a very difficult way of being, to be in the present moment and not pay attention to your own um, past experiences or this person who is sitting in front of you, their experiences. Like, it's very hard to not judge and just be there in the present moment. But I think it's doable. 
Okay. I really do. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But it's awareness and constant doing mm-hmm. and being. So it's not just bringing yourself to the present moment, but just actually being present in that moment. Mm. Really being. Like, it's not just about doing, but it's being in mm. that moment. So if you could go back in your career or life and change one decision, what would that decision be? I love that question. <laughs> I can answer it very quickly, though. Um, I wish um, that I had listened to my intuition um, when I got so much of it. And all the times that I did not listen to it, um, if I had listened to it, it would have, um, it would have, uh, it w- I would have reduced a lot of pain and suffering. I think that's the best mean, way to put it. You mean you're talking about your intuition, right? Yeah, I'm talking about intuition. So if there's something that I could change in my life and do it mm. differently is, all the all those times that I did not listen to my intuition, I wish I had listened to it. I think I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that. Uh, as I said, I only started listening to my intuition only a year ago, so I'm no. Worried. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the previous times, you know, <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> Do you think uh, you can share something publicly? Uh, yeah, well, I'll give you one example. There was, you know, we all, it's, it's very difficult to um, always be right in who you hire on your team. Okay. And um, because most of us are in private practice, are solo practitioners, um, we really rely on our staff. And, and we should because they're the ones that are there to support us. And sometimes um, when one person doesn't do that and they actually even um, do some fraudulent activity that can really hurt us, um, Mm -hmm. those are the times that, um, for example, myself, I went through a long period of time where I had somebody that was doing fraudulent activity right under my nose. And I had a really bad feeling. I mean, to the point that it was every day and on weekends I would just sit with my stomach and, you know, not, not knowing what was going on, but I had this awful feeling that something was going on. Yeah. And, um, but I didn't know. I just, I just didn't know why I was feeling that way. Mm. And, um, soon I, you know, soon after I, after six months to a year, I finally found out what was going on and it was not good. Um, it really, I mean, the pain and suffering it brought down on me was immense. And had I listened to that intuition, then mm-hmm. I think I would have put measurements in place. I would have maybe hired a consultant and helped and asked them to, um, you know, do some digging and, you know, find out what was going on. So, yeah, it's so important to listen to that intuition. So important. Thanks. So, when you think of a person being successful, who comes to your mind? Being successful, I think, comes to mind. I think it's every, 
dentist, every doctor who goes to work and shows up to work every day mm. to see patients. That showing up and being willing to help somebody, that to me is success. Okay. It's not, it's not how much money you make. Of course, that, that is good and it needs to be there. Mm-hmm. But successful people are those that don't, they don't let adversity stop them from the path that they want to follow. And despite all the difficulties, they still get up and they still show up in their practice and they still do what they love to do. Those mm-hmm. are the successful people. At least that's my definition. Yeah. The best purchases, any, any purchase that you made between $100 to $300 that impacted your life in a positive way? Between $100 to $300. Yeah, that would be, well, I wish it was $100 to $300. Intro camera. Okay. <laughs> That, but let me tell you why I say that. Um, when I purchased my practice, um, it was a small practice. A doctor had been there for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I thought, okay, as, an, as a new dentist, I had no idea what to look for. So yeah. um, on the first day that the keys were handed to me, um, a patient walked in with her crown in her hand, a crown that had been cemented a week ago. Yeah. And she was upset, clearly, because this crown had fallen off. And when I looked at the tooth, there was hardly any tooth structure above the gum line. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of me realizing that this dentist had been pretty much doing supervised neglect for who knows how long. Okay. But now... You know, we hear about supervised neglect on, in, you know, in dental school, we hear about it, but no one tells us what to do to get out of it when it's been handed to us by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So here I was, you know, he had mostly older patients, and what I found in these patients were, um, it was upsetting, just really upsetting. Things that should have been diagnosed, that were not diagnosed, open crown margins, and the list goes on. And these people all trusted him because he had established trust with these patients. However, I was a new dentist, and I didn't know about trust. Mm. And I did not have an intraoral camera. So what they did when I told them that things were failing in their mouth, instead of believing me, they just thought I was milking them dry of their money. Yeah. So they left my practice and they never questioned this dentist who had actually created those problems. Right. right. So I lost about half of my practice um, just with that. Had I had an intraoral camera, mm. I would have been able to take that and show the patients, you know, that there was a through and through. Yeah. Um, decay under their crown and I could have shown them a lot of that and seeing it they may have you know believed me instead of not believing me so that's huge I think intraoral camera every new dentist every Mm. new dentist Mm -hmm. what is one advice that you would give to yourself 
to younger Dr. Rita Saleh? <laughs> like, for example, you, you, yeah. you're 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, you know, whatever, mm. you know, I'm just making up the numbers here. But the idea is yeah. your younger self, advice to younger yeah. self. I would say trust your intuition. Mm. I mean, that is like the Bible for me. I'm I'm so intuitive in that now that I know, now that I know mm-hmm. how, how my intuition, I should have trusted it. And mm-hmm. I, now that I know that, that's what I would tell my younger self. Like the minute you get that intuitive whisper, trust it instead of not trusting it. And not going after it. Like, trust that like it's the Bible or Got whatever it. you believe in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have a giant billboard such that you could display a great message or a quote for everyone to follow, of course, not about your book, uh, what mm-hmm. would you like to tell people or the dental ward? I would say don't do it alone. Ask for help. And the reason I say that is because, you know, our training, when we're training to get into dental school and while we're in dental school, there's a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so, especially for those people who want to specialize, you know, they have to, you know, be very competitive. And then, you know, we have that competitive mindset. And then when we get into private practice, Mm -hmm. then all these problems exist that we're not trained in. You know, we've, we're really good dentists, but we're not trained in the business part of it. But the society, you know, and everyone expects us to know everything. After mm-hmm. all, we're doctors, you know. We should know it all. So there's this expectation that society has that, well, you finish your training, now you can be successful and provide for your family and retirement because you know it all. And we get into this place where we're like, well, I really don't know. I'm, you know, I failed at this, but I failed at that. What do I do? But then, you know, you're faced with this belief that you should know it all. So we're always very careful not to ask for help because why? After all, we're supposed to know it. And that is wrong. We can be good at dentistry. We can be the best dentist, but for office, practice, business management, mm-hmm. we need to be able to reach out and ask people who are an expert in those things to help us. We can't do it alone. Got it. So that would be my, that would be my message is, mm-hmm. of course, you can do it alone. <clears throat> Dr. Pence, don't get me wrong. I mean, we can all figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. But the road is going to be a lot harder when we do it by trial and error. It's going to be a lot harder. Mm. than if somebody is guiding you. I agree. I agree with that. Clearly agree with that. Uh, One thing that you're excited about, one thing that you've changed your minds on, and one thing that you do is, that is absurd or funny. So, let's let's start. You can do one at a time. One thing that you're excited about. One thing I'm excited about. I'm really excited about the fearless way method, which is discussed in my first book. Um, I 
I really would love to see every dental office do this because it's going to change dentistry. It's going to change the patient's life. It's going to change the dentist's life. Right. Got it. And that's one thing that I'm really excited about. Um, The next is changed your mind on. Yeah. Something that you believed in wholeheartedly um, Mm. or, or whatever, you know. Initially, you yeah. believed in something and now mm, doesn't seem right. And, you know, either because of experience or somebody you somebody told you something else that changed your minds on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I um, have a very independent streak in me. And I, you know, ever since I was 14, I, I, I left. You know, I was in a boarding school and then in another country. And then, um, so I've been on my own since I was 14. And therefore, I have this very independent side to me that always thought I could do everything myself. So it kind of ties back to that previous question. Um, I thought I had endless energy and, you know, that I I never even considered that my body could change as I aged. So, um, yeah, all those things that I thought I would never have to ask for help. Um, so if I could change that belief when I was, um, mm. you know, from, from younger, mm. um, I don't know. It would have, I, I don't know. I mean, if, if it would have changed my life in any way, but I think just the belief that I'm going to be doing this forever by myself and everything will be fine. Um, I wish I didn't, because when it was no longer true, I had a lot of adjustments to make. Got it. But I think I think this is all about dentistry in general. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we have to give permission to ourselves. It is okay to ask for help. It is okay if you don't know the answer, because uh, you know, and that is the reason I started the podcast. You know, I don't know so many questions, so many answers, but the whole idea is if I learn one thing from one person and that changes me and I adapt on it, you know, um, it's okay. So I'm trying to say the same thing. You know, dentists, we usually, usually are very hell bent in that regard saying we know everything, but, and we don't ask for help, uh, mm-hmm. because, Apparently, we should know everything and we know everything, but it's not true. Not everybody can know everything. So it's okay. I think we all have to give permission to each other and not mm-hmm. judge at the same time if somebody's asking uh, for help. If I see, if I ask help from my own assistant, hey, I don't understand what how you do this. It is okay. I think that is really okay. Go ahead and ask for it because now you know better, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think we all have to give we all have to give permission to each other. It is okay. Yeah, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that if you ask for help that you're weak somehow. You know, I was um, exactly. I, I, was talking to, I was talking to a client who's also a physician, and she had the same. I mean, I think medical school and dental school are the same, and that if you ask for help, you're going to be perceived as weak or you know not up to par somehow. And that's so far from the truth. But also it is because how you have presented yourself in all these years, 
that you know everything and immediately you asking for help seems a little uh, out of track uh, or odd for somebody. And then you've already created a bubble um, which is going to burst one way or the other. But it's just yeah. a matter of uh, when, right? If you mm -hmm. ask this, if you ask it early, you know you can burst the bubble right now and let and you know be vulnerable. I think uh, w yeah. being vulnerable is the quality. It's not a weakness. Mm -hmm. um, and and we all should be vulnerable. And okay, it's okay. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to understand that you know you can ask questions and give permission to each other. To ask the questions, even if you don't know, or if or you believe, right? Okay. It's actually a sign of courage to say, "Hey, something's not working well for me." Yeah. Who who do I ask for help? Right. You know, just that requires a lot of courage, like you said, just to be vulnerable and say, "I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. I need help." All right. So, last question. One thing that is really absurd or funny that you do? Well, I, I do tend to laugh about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there is a part of me, it's um, the comical part, that I think um, always makes fun of all my experiences and laughs about them that can kind of make keeps me sane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, I don't think... Um, I don't think I do anything that, you no. know, brings laughter for me. I think it's just my thought process. I don't know if you've heard of internal family systems. It's, um, it's, uh, it believes it's based on the belief um, in psychology that our psyche is made up of different parts. So I have a part in me that in my psyche that is so funny and it looks at, you know, experiences that I've had in the past and makes a comical version out of it. And of course it happens after it's happened. <laughs> and, okay. and that comical version uh, completely changes the picture. And just by laughing at what happened, it, it kind of removes the negative experience. Mm. And of course comedy is a higher energy than, you know, Sadness. So it immediately transforms and takes me to a higher level of mm. energy about that experience. So I think it's so important to be able to laugh at, you know, at yourself and all the mistakes that you've done mm. and, and just laugh about it because, you know, nobody has all the answers. Yeah. We're all just laughing. You know, it doesn't matter how many years you've been in practice, you know, just every time, every time I said to myself, oh, I think I've seen it all, then guaranteed I, something else would happen that I had never seen before happen. You know, it's just, it's just endless. Well, like we're all here just learning. Well, I call that as dental gods uh, wrecking their heck, you know, so. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I call them as dental gods wreck, uh, wrecking their havoc, you know, and yeah. that that is true. You know, something someday uh, I, I I was talking to Doctor Kirk one day, uh, interviewing him, and he's uh, we said the oh. same thing. And he's a surgeon; he does extraction all day long, you know. 
And, you know, one day you think this is easy. That's it. That's the one which is giving you the most trouble, right? Thank you. Thank you for coming in today. Oh, thank you for asking. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Banks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming in again. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Yeah, you too. All right. Bye. Would you like to get a really small email a couple times a month to see what hashtag POD is up to? What are we reading? What are we listening to? What are we doing? What's stupid, funny, entertaining, and some weird stuff that we've gotten ourselves into? Then go to podcastsofdentistry.com slash extra. E-X-T-R-A. That's right. Podcastsofdentistry.com slash extra. And you will get a really small email from us to give you that little extra kick and keep you busy exploring the world we travel. You can also find us on Facebook at podcastsofdentistry.com slash Facebook. Thank you for listening. Hashtag POD. And I'll see you inside.